Hey, welcome to Element if you're new. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are short sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. And what you're going to get on the front side is, you know, one of the part of the verses we're covering, you're going to get a place for notes. You'll get all the verses we're going through, a place on the bottom if you have a question about something that we are talking about. On the back side, you're going to get a short little recap of what we talk about, and then some questions to talk to your friends, your family, or your gospel community about. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. And once you download that, it just says Bible. And then you click on More and then Events, and we will come up by GPS in your smart device. And you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, when it says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who live in great confidence because we realize that ultimate judgment is done by you, and you are trustworthy, and that you are good, and that we can be a people who step out into this world and offer grace and hope and not condemnation that we can look and learn how to judge correctly and bring about the restoration that you call us to bring about in the world as we point and live for you. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series called Never Read a Bible Verse at Element. And I got to tell you guys, uh, last week I was really worried about the message, the question about slavery, and I spent the whole time talking about it. You guys have been so kind, so kind, saying, you did a great job. I don't know, I'm still sweating about it just a little bit, but I appreciate it. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it. But when we say never read a Bible verse, that doesn't mean we don't want you to read your Bible. It means we want you to read it in context. And so we keep talking about how just you don't, we don't pull one word out of some place and just run with that. But I also want you to understand, in some places, one verse does do. One verse does really well, but in many places it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it just kind of adds into our cultural confusion about what the Bible actually speaks about. So we've been talking about different concepts or specific verses. Today we're going to look at specific verses and this concept of judging. Now we talk about judging probably every couple years here, but the question seems to come up about every six months. You know, oh, you're not supposed to judge. Well, I am supposed to judge. Or how do I judge? So I thought it'd be a good idea to kind of walk through this again with you. I did this last year. It took us two weeks. I'm going to do it over one week, and that just doesn't mean I'm going to talk faster than normal. I'm not going to try to, but we are just going to do it over one week. And our culture, you know, people look around, and they say, oh, oh, we shouldn't judge, but then we judge anyway. And I think that's why Jesus says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Sometimes we just walk around thinking we are better than everybody else, and that our judgments are better than everybody else's. And so in context, not just reading the Bible verse, let's see if we can't tackle true judging from a biblical perspective, and maybe you guys won't want to shoot me after this is over. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, that is on page 526 if you have an element Bible. Now one writer kind of put it like this, I think it's brilliant. He said, you can divide all the people in the world into two categories, everybody else and you. Okay, so those two circles. So then he says, which circle are you in charge of? He says, you're in charge of the you circle. He goes, which circle are you not in charge of? The everybody else circle. There you go. That's how it works. When Jesus starts talking about judging in Matthew chapter 7, it's in terms of my failings and your failings and how all those things work together. And it's an interesting thing because you and I, we should be a people who are most acquainted with our own faults because we live with us every single day. And yet, we seem to be more acquainted with everybody else's faults than our own. We want to point out everybody else. Uh, a great way to get non-Christians to typically quote the Bible is to call something a sin or 
or something's not cool in our culture, they'll say, don't judge. Sometimes they know it's from the Bible. Sometimes they don't. Uh, but it's a great way to kind of get them to look at that. It's kind of like a, a pothead's favorite verses. Uh, Every seed-bearing plant is good and don't judge. It's like the two that they know in the entire world is, is right there. Seriously, if, if you critique a, a certain lifestyle or a belief system or a behavior that is not universally condemned by our culture, and I don't know what is today, but you will typically get back this thing of you're not supposed to judge. And people who know the Bible will say, Jesus says not to judge. They probably don't know where it is in the Bible, and I guess I'm judging it when I say that. Um, but most people don't know that that's actually taken out of context. So let's start here. The idea that Jesus forbade his followers from judging is a myth. That is a myth. And I would go so far as to say that if we refuse to make some of the judgments that Jesus himself made, I think that could actually be a sin in our own lives. Jesus judged all the time. And I know we are not Jesus, so we need to be careful. But he asks us to do the same. Refusing to judge correctly without condemnation, you know, with grace, if we don't judge correctly, it can lead to costly spiritual consequences, not just in our lives, but in others' lives around us that we are called to minister to. In context, when Jesus says, don't judge, he doesn't say that and say, okay, now let's go get lunch, and then walk off and end it right there. He doesn't do that. It's followed by a clarification of what type of judgments to make, when to make them, and how to make them. And so Matthew chapter 7, read in context, isn't a prohibition against judging. It's a warning against judging improperly. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, this is what Jesus says. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, it will be, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Let they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So immediately after Jesus says, judge not, he goes into all these different things. And one of them is he says, don't throw your pearls before swine or dogs. And if you're not making any judgments, how are you going to know what is a swine or a dog in that context? Now, I told you last year when we went through this, Jesus is not calling people dogs or pigs. What he's telling you is that a pearl is a good thing, but a pig doesn't know what to do with the pearl. It's meaningless to them. And so this means we need to judge in a way that properly sees what people need in their circumstance. And then we as God's people step in to meet that need. If you go just a little bit further in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So Jesus then says, you need to judge what some people are teaching and what some people are saying. The ones that speak for God have a life that kind of reflects who God is. And those who don't, you will see by the fruit that they bear and you reject what they say. And so Jesus is not, again, telling us not to judge, period. But so many people think that's what he says. And if they think that's what he says, then why do they judge anyway? And then why do we tend to judge incorrectly? And what are we supposed to actually be doing? And why do we get this wrong all the time? <gasps> okay, here we go. Uh, first off, two things. Number one, we fail to read the Bible in context. And this is why we are doing this series, because we want to read the scriptures in context. And secondly, we have a natural tendency today to look to take everything in the Bible through our own cultural view. And we have this highly valued thing in our culture today called tolerance. 
tolerance. Now today, tolerance is mostly defined as not just judging somebody else or allowing others to believe and live in ways that we disagree with, but you must also support their right to do so and refuse to judge, refuse to judge their points of view or actions being either right or wrong. You can't say anything about it. You just have to support everybody. And as a result, in most circles, criticizing someone else's beliefs or moral choices is considered to be a sign of arrogance or ignorance or most of the time, both at the same time. But that's not what Jesus said. And it's certainly not what he meant. He told his followers that they were to judge in a certain way, with a certain attitude geared towards grace. He also gave them instructions on how to judge properly. And you will see that Jesus himself does a lot of judging. Two weeks ago, we talked about Matthew chapter 25, and Jesus judges sheep and goats. And he does that for everybody. Here comes the judge. He is the judge. So let me say this. I do not think that an emphasis on tolerance is a bad thing. I think in any diverse society, you have to have an emphasis on tolerance. And we as God's people, if we go out in the world proclaiming the gospel, we should be known by a people who are tolerant. But tolerance no longer means what it used to mean. Tolerance used to mean that you could grant others the freedom to be wrong in your opinion. It didn't mean you couldn't question, you couldn't critique, you couldn't tell somebody you thought that they were wrong. It simply meant that you could offer evaluations to one another in a spirit of grace and humility, that you and your friends could actually disagree and still be friends. I know. Crazy, crazy how that works. And that is a long way from today's definition of tolerance, where you have to affirm that everybody is right no matter what they believe or no matter what they do. Our new definition of tolerance is becoming so widely adopted that a lot of Christians today believe that it's wrong for them to criticize or critique or really look into what other people are saying or doing, the moral standards of others. And so in this series, I'm trying to do my best to help you to see the scriptures outside of the culture we are raised in and to see them as they were originally intended. Um, I think that today we have this herd mentality where everybody wants to run in the same direction and we're afraid to break off. And if you doubt me that we have a herd mentality, I just want you to go open up your high school yearbook and look at a picture of you and see what you were wearing. That right there, that is a herd mentality because we're all running the same direction. But we seem to take that towards the scriptures as well. Oh, what everybody feels like the scriptures now say, that's what they say. Guys, we can't have a herd mentality when it comes to the scriptures. There is this odd belief today that is being pushed that two diametrically opposing viewpoints and standards can both be true at the same time. And that just can't be true. There's this idea that is accepted nowhere else today than in the moral and spiritual realm that two opposing beliefs can be true at the same time. Imagine an engineering student is going through school and he's making like a, like a bridge or an overpass and they say, hey, your math isn't right. And he goes, well, it feels right to me. Well, you don't want to drive over a bridge or underpass that this kid designs. You know, imagine your doctor, you're feeling sick and you go to your doctor and he gives you a handful of pills. What do I do? And he goes, just take which ones feel right. We don't do that. In any place where things can be measured, we know that there are variables and there are rights and they are wrong. The belief that in the spiritual and moral realm that it operates differently is an unsupported leap of faith where wishful thinking replaces common sense. Larry Osborne once said this, if we were forbidden to make moral and spiritual judgments, we would have no objective way to distinguish between truth and error. 
So we need to judge because Jesus told us to. But when Jesus talks about judging, it is not in terms of condemnation, because that's how we normally want to judge. It is in terms of right and wrong and being a people who extend grace to the world around us. Jesus told us how to judge. There are some beliefs that are true. There are some beliefs that are false. There are some actions that are right. There are some actions that are wrong. And we as the people of God need to be able to do that in a way that shows grace. In John 8, there is this woman that she is caught in adultery. And they bring her before Jesus. They let the guy go, but they're bringing the girl and they want Jesus to condemn her. So Jesus starts doing a few things. And by the end of this, what happens is everyone who was accusing the lady left. And so Jesus looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. And in John 8, 11, he says, neither do I condemn you. And a lot of people stop right there. Like, never read a Bible verse? They take that out of context. Neither do I condemn you. And it's beautiful what Jesus says. And then they go, see, Jesus didn't judge. But no, he didn't stop there. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. That's a judgment. That's a judgment. He didn't ignore her adultery. He didn't say, oh, I'm personally uncomfortable with it, but if it works for you, I guess it's okay. No, he called it what it was. It was sin, no question. But what did he do? He said, I don't condemn you. I offer you grace. Now go and leave this thing that's destroying your life. It's beautiful because he loves and restores her. And I think if we refuse to label the behaviors Jesus called sin, sin, we're disagreeing with Jesus. We are not following Jesus. So again, the proper course of action is not for us to stop judging. It's to judge properly with grace in line with the standards that Jesus taught. And so what do the scriptures in Jesus say about judging? What does it take to do it right? Glad you asked. Three points for you. Number one is this. Judge as we want to be judged. Judge as you want to be judged. One of the first keys to judging appropriately is to remember the standard we use should be the one we want God to use for us. And this, in terms of what he says here, is in terms of condemnation. Like, how are we condemning others with our words rather than offering grace? Matthew 7, 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That is not saying don't judge. It's saying when you judge, your job is not to condemn. Matthew 2, uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now, see, that doesn't mean that we get to ignore everybody else's sin, so hopefully we can ignore our own. Like, oh, if I don't judge anybody, then God's not going to look at my sin. I know that's what we want it to be, but that's not what it is. It means we need to judge with caution and clarity and grace. It is so easy to condemn the very things we are struggling with and other people. I mean, there's been this thing, it was called balancing the scales, where there are people who would go out and they were crusading about the sin that they struggled with, but pointed out in everybody else, as if showing God how serious you are about it is by making sure everybody else didn't do it, but you didn't stop doing it. And this happens all the time in leadership. You hear it in the news and political figures and sadly, even church leaders. I was gonna give you a couple examples but there's just too many today. So I'm going to jump back to the 1980s. And in the 1980s, there was this Southern Hellfire Brimstone preacher who gained a huge television following, and his name was Jimmy Swaggart. Jimmy Swaggart preached about the evils of sex. He preached against anything that he saw as a purveyor of temptation, and yet he is busted for a series of voyeuristic meetings with the prostitute. Voyeuristic simply means that he liked to watch. He had been preaching to his congregation the entire time, but he's really been preaching to himself. And there was so much condemnation that came from him, and all of his words had simply been condemning himself. 
I was a youth minister for years, and I can tell you, I have a story about probably a half dozen moms who would come into my office and they wanted me to fix their, their teenage girls. And in the end, the reality is, is that the mom was the problem. That never goes over well. <laughs> Just letting you know. But the mom was typically the problem because they tried to dress like they were 16. They wanted all their daughter's friends to think they were cool. They would share all the stories about their past as like a badge of honor and look how cool I am. And it was terrible. They, they were the ones who were actually the problem. And I know when I say something like that, you're probably thinking when I rail against country music, I'm secretly listening to it. I'm not. <laughs> I have integrity. All right. So I'm talking about the truth is, sometimes we, do. we harshly condemn the sins of other people while ignoring our own. Sometimes we harshly condemn sins in other people because we want to protect them. We don't want them to go through the things that we went through, especially like our children. Sometimes people, though, because they struggle, they see demons everywhere around them and everything people do. I mean, if, if every fashionable outfit that your kid wants to wear is sinful or every MP3 is like, oh, it's just decadent or all movies are softcore porn, every boy or girl that comes over is a sexual predator you probably have a problem. You need to look into that just a little bit. If you know me, guys, I am not soft on sin. I think that we are a people, as God's people, who should be willing and open to talk about our struggles and our failures because the gospel teaches us grace. And we can step in, we can talk about that in openness and honesty because before God, our value is based upon what He has said. And so we trust in that. So I'm not soft on sin, but many times I think we condemn ourselves when we're trying to help other people. This is why we are to be a people who judge as we want to be judged. I think God wants us to be a people who are innocent, not naive. Second thing is this, deal with your own stuff first. Ooh, that's a good one. Deal with your own stuff first. Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Can you just imagine this? It's supposed to be funny. Like, let me help you. Thunk, thunk, thunk. You got something there. Thunk. I think Jesus wasn't funny. I think it's funny. Anyway, <laughs> you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, Jesus doesn't say not to judge. What he says is deal with your own stuff first. He doesn't say ignore the specks in everybody else's eyes. He says take the log out of your own eye first. I think if we are losing a battle to something in our life that is sinful, sometimes we just keep our mouth shut when it comes to judging others. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. I love the Apostle Paul's example. In Romans chapter 7, Paul will speak about his struggles, but he will use that to move to the place where he talks about sin and error which means he's, he's not hiding. He says, you know, let's talk about this. Let's put it out there. This is where I struggle. Let's, let's begin to deal with this. See, this is especially important if you have a secret sin in your life you think nobody else knows. I think other people might know. We just think nobody else does. But as long as we try to battle something only in secret without bringing brothers and sisters in Christ into our life, I don't think we have a right to point out public sins of others. To do so makes matters worse. Everything in the end really has a way of coming out. And again, over and over, this will happen with public and private figures, and we don't want to be those. We want to be a people who understand the gospel enough that we can be in communities with those who love Christ first, who can step into our lives. There is this word that some people hate called accountability. I think it's a great word because it's not about other people being your cop. It's about living and loving relationships centered upon the gospel. And we can deal with our own stuff first in gospel-centered community with other people. Third thing is this, don't judge if God hasn't clearly spoken. 
Okay, now don't be in the awkward position of disagreeing with God when he purposely didn't call something a sin and we do. It's bizarre. A lot of the harshest judgments that Christian make, Christians make are in areas where the Bible seems to give some leeway in that. Let me give you an example. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it tells us your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It should be treated as such. Now, originally when that is written, that is referring to temple prostitutes. Paul is saying, don't go and have sex with temple temple prostitutes. Okay, we don't normally have temple prostitutes in our neighborhoods. If you do, wow, crazy. Um, but we don't, we don't typically have that in our neighborhoods. So what does this mean? Because again, the Bible's not written directly to us. It's written to this culture, but it is for us. So what do we take? This is a principle. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Treat it as such. So for some people, that means you stay away from tobacco or alcohol. For some people, it means that you stay away from refined sugars and diet drinks and things like that. For some people, that means I'm going to vigorously exercise, I'm going to get proper rest. For me, it means I stay away from cauliflower and mushrooms and beets and vegetables because my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit and God wants it happy. No, I don't know. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, though, we take that thing of our discernment that God is leading us into and we lay that on everybody else. And we have to be careful not to do that. Because there is some freedom that God gives us in these things. I think we put ourselves in a dangerous position when we want to judge other people in an area where God has not spoken definitively. The Pharisees, you look at, they were just, they had these things that they cared so much about, and yet they failed to do what God called them first to do, which was love those around them. Guys, if, if God didn't definitively put something in the Bible, He's not asking you to rewrite it for Him. He's not, okay? Adding rules and regulations and standards that we wish the Bible included and then judging those who don't follow our criteria, it just is not wise. It is not. And I understand what it means to be passionate about issues. And you're probably thinking, but what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? I think sometimes the more passionate we are, the harder it is to let go. And I'm not telling you you can't be passionate. I am not saying that God is not leading you in a direction by His Spirit that we listen to what He says. But I will tell you, the harshest letters and emails I have ever received have been triggered by people who came from a tradition or a preference or a topic the writer felt very strongly about, but the Bible gave a lot of freedom about. If you look into the early church, you know the, the biggest struggles they had there was when Jesus fulfills the law and there's this whole debate about circumcision or you don't have to be circumcised. It was a huge deal. There's also huge debates about bacon. Can you imagine anybody fighting about bacon? I mean, it's just a big deal. See, I, I, I wrote this in my notes and I put, we seldom fight over things that are black and white. I don't think that's true anymore. I think, we, I think we do all the time fight over things that are black and white. And this is why we are to judge properly. What do the scriptures actually say? Guys, we go to the mat for what the Bible speaks about. We love what God says. We live in the life he calls us to. But there are other places where he does give us great freedom. Eric Jafruti, one of our elders, once said to me a few years ago, when unsure, we should always err on the side of grace. We should always err on the side of grace. So how do we evaluate and judge? And I read this somewhere and I wrote it down. I'm going to tell you this because I think it's great. I actually am writing a message for next year. I put it in there too because it's so good. Uh, it said, evaluate and protect, discern and restore. Now, that is not something I came up with. Again, I read somewhere. I don't know where at this point, but I thought it was great. If we refuse to judge certain things in the world around us, we're going to miss out on the truth. 
And if we judge inappropriately, we can condemn those around us. Judging can be dangerous on both ends. That's why we got to be careful because it's a privilege that God has given us. It's kind of like fuel at a nuclear power plant. When it's used correctly, it is great. When it's used incorrectly, it can hurt a lot of people. We must remember the ultimate purpose in this privilege of judging is not condemnation. But when people hear judging, they automatically hear and think condemnation. That is not. This is a thing where we want to be a people who evaluate and protect and discern and restore. That is why we get to judge. Depending on the situation and people involved, we got to evaluate to protect and discern and restore. So let me talk about a couple of these. First off, how do we judge spiritual leaders? or as spiritual leaders. How do we do that? Again, the purpose of judging, evaluate and protect. So the goal is to keep wolves and sheep clothing from raiding the flock, which is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. Now you might think, but I don't have a flock. You do have a flock. You have friends, you have church community, you have a job, you have family. All those things can be considered your flock. Galatians 1, 8, and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What are we supposed to do? We need to understand the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to die for our sin in our place, to restore us to relationship with God by his own work, by what he does. That's the good news. What happens in our lives after that is the result of the gospel. But the gospel is the proclamation of what Christ did to rescue us. We are small. God is big. Man is little. God is infinite. We must keep the proper perspective of who God is and who we are. So when you come into this, if a spiritual leader's life or teaching fails to match up with the scriptures, we help no one by remaining silent. We help no one by remaining silent. And so when we do that, though, we are evaluating for the purpose of protecting. And even with that spiritual leader, hopefully their heart is soft enough that when you talk to them, you can discern and hopefully try to find a way to restore them. And I know, I know many people, they get into a position of leadership and they felt like nobody can question them. Guys, I'm sorry when that happens, but your job is still to evaluate and protect those in your flock and under your care. This is why we must know and understand the gospel. Second thing, how do we judge fellow Christians? Purpose is discern and restore. Discern and restore, not condemnation. There are actually prohibitions about us judging non-Christians. I'll talk about those in just a second. But we have a responsibility to hold other Christians up. Again, that word accountability, people don't like. That's not a word about being each other's cops. It's a word about loving one another in relationship. Discerning and restoring. The purpose is always to restore. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Following Eric's advice, judge with grace. If our judgments lead us into personal attacks and bitterness, then something's gone wrong. Third one is this. How do we evaluate and judge the non-Christian world around us? Because this is where the rubber meets the road. It's like, oh, tell me how to do that, right? Well, here's here's the deal. In the scriptures, we are actually not supposed to judge non-Christians by Christian standards. 
It does not mean that we can't fight for certain rights, that we can't want certain laws passed that, you know, support what the scriptures speak about. But we are not supposed to be those who run around and condemn non-Christians by Christian standards. Uh, I think judging non-Christians by Christian moral standards starts to put the cart before the horse. Because imagine, if you successfully, you got everybody in the world to follow Christian standards, you even legislated all those, without bringing people into relationship with Christ, without understanding and speaking the gospel first, all you do do is populate hell with more nice and moral people. That's not our goal. Like More important, the Bible specifically forbids us to judge non-Christians by these Christian standards. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9-13. through 13. I wrote to you in my letter, this is the Apostle Paul, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And when people read that, they first think, yeah, all those people outside the church, I'm not going to talk to them. Church is bomb shelter. Come inside, shut the door. We'll hang out with people just like us. That's what we want, right? Okay. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. What? What? Or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world because we're supposed to be in the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. That doesn't mean that someone who is struggling, you can't spend time with. This is someone who claims the name of Christ and is living opposite that and saying, no, it's fine. I can do whatever I want to do. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. This does not mean that we can't call sin, sin. This does not mean that people who disobey God do so with no consequences. It just means that we leave that type of judgment, that condemnation to God himself. We focus on the family of God for the purpose of discerning and restoring the early Christians lived in a culture under a government that was riddled with the Bible called sin. Marriage is held in low, low, low esteem. Uh, sexual excess is approved. Uh, infant side and exposure, the killing of babies was an acceptable form of family practice. I mean, all that sounds familiar today. See, for Christians, there's no charitable tax deductions. Uh, there's no property tax exemptions. There's no freedom of speech protections. There is just this looming threat that one day Christianity is going to be outlawed, believers jailed, leaders martyred. I feel like it's going to happen again at some point. Yet the New Testament is strangely silent when it comes to condemnation of the Roman government, its leaders, or its soldiers. Now, it does speak about decadence in general in the culture, but it usually does so to remind God's people that we are no longer to live that way. Why? Because the reason is simple. The early church understood their job was not to judge to condemn, but to explain what the gospel is, to restore people to life and relationship with God again. Their job was to win them over with how Christians love one another and live their life. A proper understanding of God's grace freely given must always be part of what we do and say. Again, you know, the aim is not more moral people. It is to show other people Christ. And when people come to trust Jesus, lives begin to change. And that is always the point. That is always the point, that people would come to Jesus. And this is why we must live our lives for Him first. We must understand the gospel because that's when judging actually becomes profitable. We must understand the gospel. See, what we have to understand is the gospel is something that restores us. What, what does God do? God evaluated, you know, what sin had done in our lives. And so he comes to protect us. He comes to bring us back to himself. He discerns in our lives what is going on. And so he, through Christ, restores us to himself. All the things that we are called to do with one another is really just stemming out of what God has first already done for us. 
that God is a God who sees us in the midst of our sin and our failure and our running from Him. And what He does is He calls us back to Himself in grace, in hope, in life. And we as God's people are to be those who also step out into the world in ways that speak about the great restoration that God wants to bring in every single one of us. Again, there is nothing wrong with judging. We are called to judge. We are called to discern between different things. We need to be able to do that. But the purpose of our judging is not condemning. It is to be a people who evaluate and protect and discern and restore. And this is, I think, one of the great things every week because we, we bring you to this place. I'll help you. <laughs> bring you to this place of communion every week. Because communion is a place where we remember that God has stepped into our lives to bring us to himself. He has protected us. He has restored us in what Christ has done. This means we become a people who surrender our entire lives to him in everything that we trust the gospel. God's provision of rescuing and saving us in the person of Jesus. And this is why you come and you take a cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us. And you dip it in the wine or the grape juice. It's a reminder of what Christ did to us, that we have been restored in Christ. Uh, there's gluten-free option for crackers in the back and also single-serve ones in the back that are sealed. And in case you don't want the open-air version. But we take communion as a reminder, like Jesus said, this is to remind you of what I did, what I am doing, what he even continues to do in us the restoration that God brings because of the gospel. And if you guys need prayer, maybe you are in a place today where you felt like you have been judged or you are judging everybody else in a condemnation type of way and you want someone to be able to pray with you and to talk with you through those things, maybe to get your heart a little softer or maybe you feel like you have been judged so much and so much condemnation and you want someone to speak to you about the good grace of who God is and the gospel. We'd love to be able to do that. Grab Sarah at the Welcome Center or Justine, whichever one's back there. Don't grab her. Sorry. Talk to Sarah at the Welcome Center. I got to be careful not to say it. You're welcome. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Talk to Sarah and she will connect you with one of us. And we'd love to sit down and just pray and talk with you. Uh, There's offering boxes next to every door we give because God gave so much to us, giving us part of our worship. It is response to what God has done. We do not pass a plate because we always want it to be something that God moves us towards as we understand the great restoration he has done that God has been so giving to us. So we simply become a giving people. And I ask you to grab some of those sermon notes those questions on there, and maybe this week, talk to your friends, your family, your gospel community, and go through some of those questions about judging and and how easy it is to judge at times in a condemnation way, and how hard it is to judge with an eye towards restoration. Because so often we don't want to restore, we want people around us to be condemned and just kind of fall off the face of the map so we don't have to deal with them anymore. And what would it be like to actually be a people who never read a Bible verse in context judged correctly? and lived correctly because we understand that our God has judged correctly about our lives and yet has brought us to himself in the person of Jesus. So we live in joy because our God has brought restoration. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would take and move us to be a people who understand the restoration that we have received, that we would be a people who trust you with our lives to be able to step into other people's lives around us that we would do that in a way that speaks of grace, ways that speak of hope, ways that speak of restoration, and who we are meant to be as your image bearers in this world. I ask that you would move us to be a people 
who live in ways that glorify you in all that we do. I ask that we wouldn't run from the truth that you call us to, that it is proper and right to judge. But I ask that we begin to do it correctly in ways that first glorify you. And secondly, speak of the great restoration you've given to us and draw other people into that as well. God, we thank you. I mean, we are, we are just so undone by your mercy and your goodness and your grace. And I ask that you would make that more of a reality to us every single day, that we would glorify you and worship you with our words, with our actions, with all that we are, and that our worship of you would become genuine as it is lived out in our lives every single day that you teach us the ways to discern the difference between what our culture says versus what you say. Because our culture, when it speaks about love, it does not understand the depth of love, of what it means for you to come and rescue us. So teach us what that means so that we would then be a people who step into life with you as we live out in this world in the way that you called us to. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. All right, so we have, a, we have a new guy trained on sound, so I'm like, see if he's going, oh, look at that. He got this, this screens on the side. So we're going to drop the curtains. For, and when we do that, what we do that for is just to give you a couple moments in order to be able to block out some distractions. Because in the next few moments, I, I want you to begin to ask God, God, where are the places I have been judging improperly? Where are the places that I have been judging for the purpose of condemnation and not for the purpose of grace? and have him lead you to where he wants you to be about restoration and hope again. Have him reveal that to you and then begin to live out that great grace that he has first given to you. That you would look around to those around you and see where you need to evaluate and protect and discern and restore. And that we would truly live as ambassadors to this world based upon first what he has done for us. Because he is our God, and we trust in him and what he has done. So we get the great freedom to live our lives in worship of who he is. Then come take communion, sing some songs with us, and head out into this world in ways that glorify God in all that you do. Because he is good. And don't be afraid to judge if you do it right.